Let's open our Bibles to the book of Romans, chapter 14. This Wednesday we'll be uh, finishing up the book of Romans with chapter 15 and 16. And um, I had Paul read verses 12 through 23, but we're actually going to go through the whole chapter this morning. There's only 23 verses. Um, So... This chapter brings us to a new section. Actually, it's the final division in the epistle to the Romans. Uh, And basically, it's um, the separations of the sons of God. um, Talking about, I've entitled this, The Believer's Liberty. And um, um, the word church actually means called out ones. Called out from what? Called out from the world. And um, basically the study is going to revolve around our Christian liberties. Paul's going to use terminology that says those who are weak in the faith. And I just take that to mean that they're younger Christians, they're still figuring out, you know, how does this Christian thing work? What are the do's? What are the don'ts? And Romans chapter 14 takes, takes us head on. So um, there are two areas of Christian conduct. Uh, In one area, the Bible is very clear, as we saw in chapter 13. Uh, The duty of the Christian is to be in a state of submission to the Lord. He's supposed to obey the laws of the land, pay his taxes, show respect to those in authority, also to... chapter 13 was specific on the believer's relationship to his neighbor. He's to pay his bills. He's not to commit adultery, kill, steal, bear false witness, or covet um, what another has. In fact, he's to love his neighbor as himself. Uh, The believer is to be honest. He's to avoid revelry, um, basically, Um, would deal with eating, drunkenness, strife, and jealousy. The Bible is very clear on these things. And that's sort of a summary of where we're going this morning. So let's go back to the first three verses as we'll touch on um, some of these very issues. Verse one. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but do not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received them both. For an example of this, I'd like you to turn to Acts chapter 10. And it was when the Lord was trying to get Peter's attention, um, up till this time, um, there were no Gentiles in the church, all Jews. The early church was all Jewish. It was unthinkable that a Gentile could actually be saved. So the Lord has to get Peter's attention about what he's about to do. So if we pick it up in verse 9 of chapter 10, 
He's in Joppa. It's lunchtime and he's hungry. And we read in verse nine, he says, the next day they went on their journey and they drew near the city and Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. It was lunchtime, it was noon. And he became very hungry. And he wanted to eat, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance. And he saw heaven open, and objects like a great sheet bound at four corners descending to him and let down to the earth. Now in it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, birds of the air. And a voice came to him and said, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, Not so, Lord. Now if you've never heard of the terminology an oxymoron, this is an oxymoron. (laughs) Not so, Lord. For I have never eaten anything common or unclean. We could spend a whole lot of time in Leviticus going through what is considered clean and what is considered unclean. And things that would have been unclean, I think what was on this um, um, picnic blanket was probably uh, pork chops, um, ham sandwiches, lobster, shrimp, see all those things are unclean. And so Peter takes one look at this, he says, no way Lord, I've never touched that stuff my whole life. But then the Lord says that a voice came to him again saying, what God has cleansed, you can't call common. And this was done three times, why? Because Peter is very thick headed, that's why. And the object was taken up to heaven again. And so now he's thinking this all through. What in the world is this all about? It's a knock at the door. And he said, um, there's a centurion. Um, If you're a centurion, that means you're a Roman and a Gentile. And uh, an angel appeared to him and said, we're supposed to come to Joppa and you're supposed to come with us to tell this guy how to get saved. And the lights went on for Peter. All right, Lord, I get the analogy. And so he does. And he goes, long story short, gives Cornelius and his friends the entire gospel. The Lord interrupted Peter right in the middle of his Bible study. And the Holy Spirit comes and falls. And um, Bible study is over. And they all began to speak in other tongues. And Peter said, Nobody could believe it. That was there, that was with, with Peter. Um, Peter ba- basically says, well, they, they're obviously saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. Can anybody f- forbid them from being baptized? And um, so they were baptized. Um, just to plug for the baptism, we have it coming up in September. If you haven't been baptized as a believer, you should be. And the question is, well, why should you be? The answer is simple. Because Jesus said so. (laughs) It's as simple as that. I like to tell people, if the first thing the Lord asks you to do as a believer, if you're obedient in the first thing, um, you'll be probably obedient in the rest of the things. If you're not obedient in the first thing, there's a good chance that you will pick and choose what you'll be obedient to and what you won't be obedient to. 
So let's go back to um, Romans 14 because it's talking about a young believer um, that has a problem with eating anything. He only eats vegetables. Why? Because of his conscience sake. And um, Paul said, and, and I, I believe that, that um, once a person is, is born again, he's no longer under the law. Um, there are certain denominations, uh, seven-day Adventists are one of them, um, and I believe uh, my grandma was a seven-day Adventist, but um, she had one of the best Christian walks I've ever seen, read her Bible every day, played piano every night. Dad tells the stories, and that's what he grew up with. But my dad don't, won't eat, well, he's with the Lord now, <laughs> so maybe they have a ham sandwiches in heaven, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, he wouldn't eat pork, and it was just something that was stuck in his head. And um, we all did. I mean, we were a steak-eating family, <laughs> and... Uh, but dad wouldn't go near 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 to the pork. And it was just part of Seventh-day Adventism. They also are under the law. They try to keep the law, which is impossible to do. All right, let's go back. To, we went to the first three verses. Let's look at verses four and five. And who are you to judge another's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him to stand. Now one person esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. And let each be fully convinced in his own mind. So usually, if you're Jewish, you take the Sabbath as a Saturday, um, but then um, when the Christians started getting saved, they said they bet on the first day of the week, which would be Sunday. So some people are adamant. Maybe it's a good time to talk about the Hebrews roots movement and just touch on it. It's not my notes, but I'll go there because it's trendy right now. There's a lot of people that are getting involved with it. Basically, you're putting yourself back under the law. And um, it's mandatory if you are Hebrew roots that you don't work on Saturday. You don't do anything on Saturday. Well, I remember growing up as a kid, gosh, gosh, nobody did anything on Sunday. I mean, everything was shut down and closed down. And you went to church. That's just what it was. And then you went home and watched the Packers. <laughs> and uh, that's how I grew up. But um, these days, um, and I, I'm, I personally have a, a problem with this, um, uh, Judy and I, when we we, we driving to church, we um, at Riverside Park and, and Little Shoot there, there's a ball diamond. So they're playing ball this morning. And um, I don't like that. And I let them play ball on Monday or Tuesday or Saturday or whatever. But what are you telling your kids? A church is, baseball is more important than church. And the answer to that is, no, it's not. And I need an amen for that. 
But, um, you know, don't be afraid to say something to the coaches or, or whatever. You know, what are you, t- what are you telling the kids here? Where, where are your priorities in this particular issue? And it's just a good idea to take a day off and kick back and do nothing. Be it Saturday, be it Sunday. Um, we're way too busy with the way the world is going on right now. And we need to slow down a little bit. And I think it's a great idea to just take a day off and, and um, do nothing. But here in verses 4 and 5, one man steams one day ab- above another, and another person says, no, they're all the same. I would give two examples, Christmas and Easter. And um, some people only go to church on Christmas and Easter out of obligation. I call them CEOs. Christmas and Easter only. That's the only time they go to church. (laughs) But they esteem it highly. Well, that was the, the birth date of Christ. No, it was not. It's a pagan holiday, actually. If you do your homework... It's the time of the winter stolces and the, uh, the longest and shortest times of the year and that's where that transition is made and that's where it all comes from. So for me, I don't esteem that day very highly. Um, and other people esteem it very highly. Basically what it's saying here is it's none of your business what the other guy thinks. My, my translation. In other words, Mind your own business. If they want to make that day special, let it be special. If you don't want to make it be special, then don't let the other person tell you you have to make it special. That's where Paul is going with all this. All right, um, uh, 6 through 11, he who observes the day observes it to the Lord, and he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat and gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. And the idea that we're building up to here is um, really esteeming the other person more highly than yourself for love's sake. Uh, Verse 8, for if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. Um, I think that's important to know right now what's really important. Because I really believe it is later than we can possibly imagine. And I believe that Jesus really could come before this Bible study is over. So all this other stuff that we think is so important, um, what are you going to take with you? (laughs) Nothing. Whether you live or die, you're the Lord's. And so, again, I quote this verse off in Colossians 3.1. If you're born again, then seek those things that are above where Christ is. We're always to be looking up. That should be our priority. Seek first the kingdom of heaven, and then the rest of the stuff will take care of itself. And it's a issue of priorities and where our priorities lie. Um, We left off uh, verse nine. For this, and to this end, Christ died and rose and 
lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. And why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, Before we go to those scriptures on the judgment um, seat of Christ, um, why do you judge your brother? Well, it says in Matthew 7, um, you're not to do that. You're not to judge your brother. Why? Because I don't know what's going on in your heart. I don't know your motive of why you do what you do. Therefore, there's only one person who has the capacity and the ability to do that, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And those things will be manifested at the judgment seat of Christ. So don't go around judging your brother. All right, having said that, I already made a judgment this morning. Two of them. The Hebrew Roots Movement, I spoke against. They're trying to keep the law. Seventh-day Adventist. Well, Dwight, you're judging them. No, the Bible says a spiritual man judges all things. And now, does everybody have a difference between the two? There's a motive of the heart that I can't see what's in Tom's heart. I don't know why he does what he does. He doesn't know what I do, why I do. But the Lord does, and because the Lord does, he's a good accountant. And there's coming a time where we read here, that we stand before the judgment seat of Christ as it is written, again, here's another chapter that takes the Old Testament and connects it with the New, and Paul is gonna quote it. As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So that's six through 11. I'd like you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter five, um, we're going to do a couple sidetracks this morning because it's such a short chapter. Second uh, Corinthians 5, here it is. Uh, let's look at verses 9 and 10. Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, <clears throat> to be well-pleasing to him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in his body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. The good or bad here throws some people off. And when we go to the judgment seat of Christ, I'll explain that. So with having said that, I need you to turn to to, um, 1 Corinthians 3. So let's make our way back there. And we'll pick it up in verse 11. Here, Paul is talking about the judgment seat of Christ. And in verse 11, we read, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation, what does he mean build? Well, remember the Lord called us living stones. And as we go through our Christian life, we're involved in building things for the kingdom And primarily, I think what it has in view here is our witness, and uh, people may have led to Christ. But it can't be on any other foundation than the foundation of the solid rock. Another good place for an amen. Um, No other foundation can anyone lay that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on his foundation 
with gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, and straw. Well, we have two different types of material here. One is very beautiful and non-perishable, and wood, hay, and straw burn away real easily. Each one's work will become manifest for the day will declare it. What day? The day when you and I stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, This will only be for born-again Christians. My Bible says that he died for all my sins on the cross. It says in Psalms that I will never be put to shame. So what does it mean? Um, Well, we just read... Um, the things that you've done, whether good or bad. What is the bad if my sins are all taken care of? Well, the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work what sort it is. I mentioned earlier, only the Lord himself knows the motive of your heart. In other words, he's the only one who knows why you're doing what you're doing. And I always got a picture on my mind of some corporation um, wanting their picture on the front page of the local paper with a check this tall and this long. (laughs) And it says $5,000 on it. And, um, well, you just got your reward, buddy. And uh, they're doing it with the motive of recognition. Uh, you know, the corporation's probably got $20 billion and are giving it away five, five grand, and, but it's the recognition that they're really uh, looking for. So when it talks about wood, hay, and stubble or gold, silver, and precious stones, it was Paul who said, it's the love of Christ that constrains me. What does that mean? He says, well, the reason I do what I do is I love Jesus, and he said, I'm a fool for Christ. And I always like to say, everybody, somebody's fool. Whose fool are you? <laughs> well, be a fool for the Lord. And don't worry about what pe- people think of you, especially these days when doctrine is being so much compromised. And it's more about you feeling good and uh, wanting to hear um, good things, smooth things. It's in Isaiah where the people come and say, don't, Don't tell us these hard things. Tell us smooth things. Tell us things we want to hear. Well, that's why they stoned the prophets. Jesus said, which of the prophets didn't they kill? Because they didn't like what was being said. Again, one of the uh, safety valves for Calvary chapels is if, if you do go through the Bible chapter by chapter and verse by verse, you'll hit it all. And what, what are we hitting this morning? Well, what's the motive? Why do you do what you do? Are you doing things that are gonna stumble a younger brother? And so I like that because it gets to the most minute detail and it covers it. And it says, that God says, this is what I have to say about this particular issue. So now we're talking about the day when we have to stand before the Lord. And it said, each one's work will become manifest for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. In other words, it's gonna be tested. The Lord's going to show us our heart, why I did what I did. Well, what does the Bible have to say about how I do things? Well, it says, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. When you do something, do it in secret, because your heavenly Father, who sees your secret, 
well, then he's going to reward you openly. But if you do your good deeds before men, well, you already got your reward. Let's go on reading. If anyone's work which he has built on endures, he will receive a reward. And that means he did it with a good motive. He did it before the Lord uh, with the right attitude. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. This is a guy who did it for outward appearance and he wants the glory and he wants the attention. He himself will be saved. Now this is important. Everybody at the judgment seat of Christ is saved. Yet so as through fire. In other words, uh, I like the analogy of uh, Paul. Can you imagine how much treasure Paul's gonna have in heaven? I mean, his, his um, treasure chest is really gonna be full. Well, what about the thief on the cross? Is he saved? Yeah. Today you're gonna be with me in paradise. How many good works did he have? Nada. Nada one. But he's still saved. And uh, his joy will be full. Except Paul's joy is going to be fuller. <laughs> They're both full of joy. Um, Revelation 12 says, Those that lead many to the Lord. They're going to shine like the stars of heaven forever and ever and ever. There are going to be people who are going to be eternally grateful to you. Um, back in the Sunday school class right now, the little ones are hearing about Jesus. And the Sunday school teacher might lead a couple of kids to the Lord. Those kids, forever and ever and ever, will be able to say, it was you. You're the one that God used to tell me about Jesus Christ. And that'll never be forgotten. And you say, how do you know that, Dwight? And my answer usually is, do you think you're gonna be more stupid in heaven than you are right now? No, what does it say? We'll know all things. Um, I have to qualify that by saying that um, um, the Lord did say the former things will be remembered no more, so I gotta balance that out with that statement. But I I think you're gonna remember who it was, where you were, when and how you got saved. So let's go back to Romans 14. We left off in verse 11. Let's pick it up now with 12 and 13, which says, so then, each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in your brother's way. And what that means, to explain it, we need to uh, turn to the book of Colossians um, chapter two. So let's go back to Colossians. Give you a moment to get there. If you're new at the Bible, it's right before 1 Thessalonians and right after Philippians. So Colossians 2, picking it up in verse 11, and we'll make our way down to verse 16. Now, in him you were circumcised with the circumcisions made without hands. So he's using the analogy here 
um, the cutting away of the flesh. We die to the flesh, and that's what Paul's meaning here. By putting off the body um, of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forever given you all your trespasses, wiping out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, namely the law, which was contrary to us. And it was taken, he took it out of the way, nailing, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Now verse 16, now we have a therefore, because Jesus did all of this, it says, therefore, let no one judge you in food or in drink as regarding a festival or a new moon or a shadow. So here, when it comes down to Christian liberties, it says um, uh, we're not to judge anyone in food or in drink. Let me take uh, that one step farther. There is an exception to this, okay? And um, where Paul read this morning in 1 Corinthians 11, I'm gonna have you go back to 1 Corinthians 11 because we always read that, but we never read what's before it. What I'm going to read now is um, what is before it in verses 17 to the verses that we went up to when we read about communion. So we read here, 1 Corinthians 11. Now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you, since you come together not for the better but for the worst. Now we're talking about communion. First of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I part, I believe it. For there must also be factions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, like this morning, uh, is it not to eat the Lord's Supper? For in eating... This blows my mind. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of the other. One is hungry, and the other one gets drunk. And I read that, and I said, what? And, I, and then I'm going to go to the next verse in 22. It says, what? <laughs> okay, just imagine. So we had communion this morning. Um, and let's say you didn't eat all day yesterday. You're really hungry. And uh, you're not waiting for the ushers to dismiss you out of your aisle. You're coming from the back row and you're headed right for the, right for the cracker jar. <laughs> Getting as much in as you can. My friends, that's exactly what's being said here. And then, um, they weren't using grape juice because it says, and the other one's drunk. So it was this big feast and Paul's saying, when you guys come together, well, that's not what communion is all about. Communion is about uh, they weren't remembering the Lord's death and do this in remembrance of me. 
We take time to make the main thing the main thing and it's not about us eating and drinking. No, it's remembering what Jesus did for you and I. Not so in the Corinthian church. The guy that was hungry was pushing everybody aside so he could chow down and some, some other guy over in the corner um, found the wine bottle and he's just getting, he's wasted. It says so right here, he's drunk. What, do you not have homes to eat and drink in? Or, you, or do you despise the, the, the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. And then, that's what part we never read, but Paul was now from here is what we read this morning. Uh, for that which I received from the Lord, I delivered to you. And those are our traditional verses that we have. All right, um, let's go back to Romans. And now we're looking at 14 through 16. And it says, I know and I'm convinced by the Lord, Jesus, that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, well, to him it is unclean. If your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. In other words, if you have a liberty to do something and somebody else doesn't, don't go around flaunting it in front of them. Consider that he's a brother that's weak in this area and he says, according to me, I can only eat vegetables. Well, I like a good T-bone. And um, that's primarily, let me put it in, in a context that we might better understand it. Because of the, the guidelines this year, you can only have 50 people meet so we can have our church picnic that we have every year. We've had them every year since we've been here. But because they're only allowing 50 people to show up, we're not having one. But let's pretend we're having one. Uh, and you bring your food. And with your food, you pop open a Bud Light. I'd probably say, um, you know, I, I have no problem with you and your Bud Light, but not here. Why? Well, because you would probably stumble somebody that's here. And for love's sake, you simply don't do it. Have it at home, nothing wrong with that. Now, having said that, what is wrong is that he takes his Bud Light and um, uh, then he has a whole case of Bud Light and he decides he drinks the whole case. Now we're talking the difference and I'm gonna have you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter six lest I am misunderstood this morning. 1 Corinthians 6, and um, these are very, very important verses. And I preface it by saying, uh, don't be deceived. For we read here in verse 9 of chapter 6, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicator, or idolater, or adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor covetousness, uh, nor thieves. What's the next one? Nor drunkards. It's one thing 
to pop the top of a Bud Light as another thing to drink the whole case. And Paul says, if this, if this, is, a bat, if this is the fact of the matter, it's included with the rest of the people that are listed here. But notice what it says. Nor revilers nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Well, what does that mean? It means you're not going to heaven. And don't be deceived about it. If you think otherwise, know this. You're wrong. The Bible's right. Good place for an amen? You're wrong. The Bible's right. So, um, I wanted to make sure that we had a clear understanding about our church picnics and so on and so forth. All right, let's go back to Jesus' first miracle. And I'll probably blow some minds with this one. Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, one of my favorite stories. Looking, I'll pick it up verse two. John the Baptist is in prison. Now when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and he said to them, are you the coming one or should we look for somebody else? And Jesus answered and said to them, well, I want you to go tell John these things which you hear and see. Uh, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And then he said something that John was not expecting. He said, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. This was pointed at John. In other words, John sent the disciples out because, I mean, the forerunner, Malachi 3.1, the voice crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. That's about John the Baptist. And now he's the one who's doubting. Why would John be doubting? that Jesus was the Messiah. Well, I'll tell you why. John had taken as a prophet, was under uh, what we call the vow of a Nazarite. What went along with that was a very simple lifestyle. Um, Couldn't cut your hair, and you couldn't drink wine, and you couldn't even eat grapes, okay? All right, now turn to verses 18 and 19. And I'll show you why John was offended. Verse 18 says, John came neither eating or drinking, and they say he has a demon, but the son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look, a gluttonous man. He's a wine bibbler. Or bibber? (laughs) Whatever. He's a friend of tax collectors, and we hate tax collectors. And sinners. He hangs out with sinners. But wisdom is justified by her children. Well, this tells me uh, that um, Jesus drank wine. And John found out about it, hanging out with tax collectors. Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector. And um, it offended John that Jesus would do that. And that's why he said, and blessed is he who is not offended in me. Um, a lot of people at this point will say, well, Dwight, it was new wine. And what I have to say to that is, no, it's not. And I'll tell you why. Let's go to Jesus' very first miracle in John chapter 2. John chapter 2. Um, John's 
Jesus' first miracle, one one through 10. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they had run out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no more wine. Well, he knew that. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour is not yet come. Uh, His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Now I want to bring something out here. These are the last words of Mary recorded in the scriptures. And I like it because it says whatever Jesus says, do. It doesn't say whatever Mary says, do, okay? These are her last words. Whatever he says, that's what you do. So what does he do? Well, now there were six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews concerning 20 or 30 gallons apiece. So do the math. That's quite a few gallons of water. Jesus said, fill the water pots with water and fill them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some of it out and take it to the master of the feast. Now these weddings would go on, could go on for a whole week. And so um, it was a great big party. And that's why the wine ran out, evidently. And they took it to the, the, the father of the bride. He was putting the thing on. And when the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, he did not know where it came from. But his servants knew who drew the water. There's a Bible study right there. The master of the feast called the bridegroom. And he said to him, you know, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. uh, And when the guests have well drunk, in other words, it seems like they are getting a little tipsy, then that which is inferior, that, uh, then they bring out the cheap stuff. That's basically what he's saying. And so this is telling me here that this is not new wine. And what does he say about the wine that's being brought out right now? Then that which is inferior. But this stuff that you just brought me, you've kept the good stuff until now. now who did it? Well, Jesus did it. Was it new wine? I don't think so. And um, having said that, I think we made it clear about drunkenness and um, a celebration um, at um, somebody's wedding. Oh, I hesitate to tell this story, but I've been thinking about it all week because I was actually at, <laughs> oh, maybe I want this time, just make you guys think about it. No, no, I, I've done... Over 40 years, many, many, many weddings. We'll be doing one for the Crash family up, up north on the 13th of this month. And the father of, of uh, you know, after the wedding, you go to the banquet and everything's set up. And, and when we got there, uh, there were champagne glasses and everybody had a champagne glass. And they were all full. And um, so I'm sitting down and everybody's watching me. <laughs> What's he gonna do? And I stood up, took the champagne glass to the bride and groom. And everybody else, um, I don't know if they breathed the breath of sigh or relief or whatever, 
but they said, to the bride and groom. <laughs> so, and you know, the, uh, as I thought about it, it's one of those what would Jesus do moments. You know what the Lord gave me? John chapter two. Leave it at that. All right, let's go back and finish it up. Uh, Romans 14. All right, we left off with the second thing that stumbles people. Another thing that would stumble a brother or sister that is weak in the faith or just plain legalistic is smoking, okay? Uh, We had a a guy here years ago, and um, he was one of those guys, first one here, last one to leave, and as, as he was locking up, he was walking out the front door, and there was a guy out there smoking a cigarette on, on where he sat in the bricks. And this guy goes up to him, looks at him real seriously. He says, you know what the Bible says about smoking, don't you? And the guy says, no. And he said, nothing. <laughs> and, and then just kept on going. <laughs> and that was the right thing to say. And he's being very wise and very tactful in doing so. Um, Charles Spurgeon uh, smoked stogies. He loved his stogies. C.S. Lewis loved his pipe. Both contained tobacco. Um, Again, let's use the church picnic analogy. Everybody there is at the church. You've just finished your meal, so you light up. Um, and you're probably going to stumble somebody because somebody's going to think, because they're the younger ones, you're not supposed to smoke cigarettes if you're a Christian. That's not in the Bible, but that's what they're thinking. So, again, I would probably say, you know, uh, you're probably going to stumble somebody right now, so why don't you put it out and light it up when you get home? And um, if he asked me why, I said, go home and just check out Romans chapter 14. It lays it out really clear, and you're not doing it. It's not that you can't do it. You have the liberty to do it. And so do it. But don't do it in front of somebody that's going to cause them to be stumbled because of it. For love's sake, don't do it. And um, Romans 14, verse 15 says, if you're back there, if your brother is grieved because of your food, or you can put cigarettes in there if you want to, You are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of of as evil. Let's finish it out this morning with 17 through 23. Um, We'll go back to verse 21. For the kingdom of God is not food or drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by them. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things which may edify one another. And do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. And things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. It is good neither to eat eat meat or drink wine nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. A happy is he who does not 
condemn himself and what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned, and he who eats because he does not eat from faith, for whatever, whatever is not from faith is sin. It's a matter of conscience. Um, if you've never heard of first love, um, basically it's a three-day retreat by the early, earliest of the Christian musicians, and I'll close with this story this morning. I watched it either the last night or the night before, I can't remember. And they had everybody from Chuck Gerard, Randy Stonehill, second chapter of Acts, Barry McGuire, uh, Honey Tree, Nancy Honey Tree, uh, Randy Matthews. But they also had a guy there named Jim Fisher. And um, I call John Fisher the Pete Best of the Beatles. Does anybody have any idea what I just said? Okay, some of you old Beatle fans. Um, Pete Best quit the Beatles. Ringo came on right before they became famous. John Fisher was the drummer for Love Song, probably the most popular of all the Jesus music during that period of time. I have a heart for these guys because they would do concerts seven days a week, never, got any, never paid for it, and they lived by faith, and they did it because they loved the Lord. Well, John Fisher wrote a book, and I'll close with this thought. And the title of the book is Can Christians Dance? And then the subtitle is Some Can and Some Can't. (laughs) And I'll leave you with that. Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, we thank you so much that um, your word leaves no stone unturned. But it deals with with, um, all the issues of life. And we're grateful for it, Lord, because it tells us what to do and how to do it. And Heavenly Father, if we ever find ourselves in opposition and disagreement like Peter did, help us understand that you're always right and we're always wrong. And I thank you personally for the liberty that that brings to us. So go before us the rest of this day. In Jesus' name, amen.